a very catchy phrase, and it's got a, 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 an interesting take on it, if you, if you will. On your seat, there are the connection cards that we already talked about. If you, wanna, uh, if you want to, on the, the bottom part of the card is to be torn off, and, and like, like Jeremy said, we'll put it in the basket uh, before you leave. But the top part has these three little lines where you can make notes, and I actually have three little sentences that I'm going to have you write in those notes just to make it even that much easier for you. And so when you leave today and later today or sometime this week, you'll have a reminder of what we talked about today, and hopefully you'll find it helpful to your life sometime uh, in the near future. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about me since this is our inaugural service. I'm married to a wonderful woman, Lynette. We've been married going on 20 years now. I think in December will be our 20th year. And uh, we have three kids. Our oldest is in college, our oldest son. Our, our middle son is in high school, and our daughter is in grade school. Uh, we're both native uh, Angelinos. We're from Los Angeles. She grew up in Westchester. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. We both went to CSUN. And uh, we met at, in the church after uh, both of us had graduated college. We got to know each other in the church and, and, and got married. We've been in the full-time ministry now going on, I think it's 17 years, if I did my math right. It's always a little scary when I'm doing math, but I think I got that about right. And if you want to know anything more about me, you feel free to ask me or my wife. We'll be happy to share uh, uh, anything you, you, you want to know. But I just thought as, a, as an introduction, it would be good to just let you know a little bit about who I am. Now, who here has seen the movie Toy Story? Okay, the first one. All right, now, who here remembers the two main characters in Toy Story? And what were their names? Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Who remembers Buzz Lightyear's motto? To infinity and beyond. Who remembers Woody's motto? That's one of them. He actually didn't have a specific one. He had several things that he said throughout the movie. One of them was, there's a snake in my boot. And it actually changed in later versions of the movie. There was different things he said. But I want to talk about Buzz's motto for a minute, to infinity beyond. You say, why do I bring that up at the beginning of this message? Well, because it actually has something to do with the message today. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 38 through 42. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In this passage of scripture... It come, or this passage of scripture comes from what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus Christ. It occurred early in his ministry. He had acquired uh, a, a large crowd, began to follow him. Jesus, uh, early on, right from the start of his ministry, went all over Galilee, which is northern Israel today. He traveled all around. He taught, he preached, he spoke, he even healed people. And as a result, he got a large crowd of people interested in him. He even got a, a few select people that committed to becoming his followers or his students, much like Plato or Aristotle had disciples or students. Jesus had disciples. He had students. And, and at one point, he went up onto a mountainside, found a big flat open spot, and there was probably thousands of people there with him when he did this to hear him speak. 
and he delivered what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. It's important to note, though, that if you, if, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins in Matthew chapter 5, and in, on, on sometime later you can look it up, it's actually directed to his disciples. It's actually directed at just a select group of people out of this large crowd of people. Now, this large crowd of people got to hear the sermon, and there was a purpose to that because the purpose was hopefully some of those in the crowd would want to become his disciples too. So, so the, the sermon itself was directed at current disciples, current students, current followers of the Jesus way, and those who might be interested in the Jesus way. You know, he preached this, we don't know the exact location, but it was, it was certainly in northern Israel, probably near the Sea of Galilee, not far from the current border of Israel and Syria. Now, this sermon was not intended to be a list of commands. It wasn't intended to be a replacement for current law that was in place at Jesus' time, criminal or civil. It wasn't even a strict code of conduct. He didn't intend the sermon to be looked at and said, okay, am I doing A, B, C, and D that's mentioned in the sermon? And, and for those of you that may know a little bit more about the Bible and have read the Bible a little bit, it's not even what I used to think it was after, before doing this study on my own and, and really digging into the sermon. It's not even the Christian version of the Ten Commandments or the Law of Moses. The Sermon on the Mount is really more of a commentary than it is a series of commands. It's really more a description of the Christian life or of a godly life than it is a list of details that need to be obeyed. It's really more an emphasis on what has already been taught and less of an endeavor to bring something totally new. And so this brings us to our series theme, Things I Wish Jesus Didn't Say. I want you to look closely at verse 39, and I want you to notice the second part of it. He says, do not resist an evil person. That's my title for today. That's the thing I wish, I sometimes wish Jesus didn't say. But what did he mean? In order to understand this, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to dig a little deeper. We're going to have to do a little history lesson. We're going to have to get into the context and understand the, the, the time and the place that Jesus spoke it in and what was going on in the background so that we can understand what it meant at the time so that we can understand what it means today. Hopefully we'll do that in the next 20 minutes. Let's go to God and pray before we dig into the scripture a little deeper. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone coming out today. Really open up our hearts to see your word and, and, and speak to each and every one of us as you would want us to be spoken to. Move me out of the way and let the spirit speak, Father, to each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's look at the context of this, of this statement. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, you've got to remember something. Jesus spoke this some 2,000 years ago to Israelite people, Jewish people. The area of Galilee, which is northern Israel today, was a heavily Jewish population. And his primary audience were, were Jewish people. And they had a history that uh, 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 they had a code, I should say, a law code that we call the Law of Moses. Yeah, that was in their history. Sometimes people will call it the Ten Commandments, but if you didn't know this, there were a lot more than just Ten Commandments. That's just the title. 
There was actually hundreds of commands, and it covered just about every area of life, religious, civil, criminal. I mean, it had all kinds of codes and laws. And, and this made the Israelite people unique among other peoples in their day. Uh, uh, um, um, they were unique because of their law code. There were other law codes in existence, but the law of Moses was miles ahead of every other law code. It was first given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai some 3,500 years ago. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and they were freed from their slavery in Egypt. We call that the Exodus. And, and a couple million Jews left Egypt, former slaves, made their way through the desert over to the land of Canaan, which is now the nation of Israel. And along the way, they stopped at Mount Sinai, and God gave the law, the law of Moses. It's called that because it was given to Moses. And you remember the movie, is it Charlton Heston with the stone tablets that comes down from the mountain? Like I said, there were, there were more than just 10, but, he, but it was the law of Moses. That's how it was referred to. And as I said at the beginning, this law made the Israelites unique among all other peoples. Other cultures at the time had law codes. There were law, co law codes in existence, the Hittites, the Babylonians. There was one called the law code of Hammurabi. If you do any kind of research in this, you'll see his name come up a lot. And any law code is better than no law code. That's an important thing to understand. It's better to have some sort of law code, even if it's not perfect, than to have no law code. And if you want proof of that, go to Syria today. There is no law code existing there or in, or in Afghanistan. The place is chaos. And there are parts of the world today that, that law codes have just disintegrated. They've vanished. Now, there's other law codes in other parts of the world, and they are better than no law code. But the Israelite law code, the law of Moses, was superior to any other law code of its time. And I'll honestly tell you, it's still superior today than most other law codes in existence even today. And so this reference to an eye, uh, this comment Jesus made, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, for a tooth comes from the law code. And his audience, being Israelites, having, having lived under this law code for some 2,000 years by the time of Jesus, was very familiar with that statement. They understood what that statement meant. It was, very, it was very familiar to them. Now, when we look at that law code today, some 1,500 years later, we look back at it and it seems kind of barbaric. It seems kind of harsh. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, really? Is that what I'm supposed to do? If someone punches me, I punch them back. That's, that's God's will? If someone knocks out my tooth, I knock out their tooth? Well, we do that because we fail to understand the purpose or the intent or the spirit of the code. This was not intended to be an exact command to be obeyed. If your tooth got knocked out, you knocked out that guy's tooth. Actually, this was a, uh, what they call a, a, a negative command. It was a restraint against retaliation. When you live in a culture where there's no law code or there's a, or a, or a, a lesser law code, a, an inferior law code, for instance, the law code of Hammurabi or the Babylonians or the Hittites, they had rules like if you poked your neighbor in the eye, you could cut his breast off or you could uh, you know, enslave his firstborn. The law codes in other cultures around the Jews at the time, the Israelites at the time, had things like mutilations that were commanded under the law code. And this law code actually is not a command for mutilation, it's actually a command for restraint. What it's simply saying is, hey, the punishment must fit the crime. 
So if someone uh, pokes me in the eye, I'm not commanded to poke them back in the eye. I, I have, uh, I, I'm able to uh, respond, but I'm, resp- I'm, I'm able to respond in a limited and measured way. It has to be equivalent to the crime that was committed. And so you can search the law code of the, of, of, of the Israelites, the law of Moses, and you'll never see a command for mutilation anywhere in there. In fact, when there was a crime against property, there was no physical punishment. There was reparations that needed to be made. A certain amount of money needed to be paid back, 20% or, or whatever. And so this was an incredible step forward for society, for civilization. Because throughout the law of Moses, there was this theme of restraint, of measured response. One other thing that's important to note is that this law code was given and intended to be administered by judges. Interesting, we have the same system in our country today. We have the courts, and we have that's who administers the law of this land. And there's, a, there's actually a reason for that. Because, because if I get poked in the eye by someone and I want to retaliate, uh, I, my tendency is, the, is to go to excess, is to go overboard. And maybe I poke them back in the eye, maybe I do something worse. But if I have a, a, system of, of, a system of judges that administers the law, I go to the judge, and the judge is impartial, and he's able to make sure that the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth restraint is enacted. So that it, it prevents me from becoming a, from, from blood vengeance, from retaliating, and then a cycle of retaliation that goes on between me and the other person. Think of the Hatfield and McCoys. Somebody was killed and they returned the favor and then it just went on and on and on for years. There was no restraint. There was no judge, really, and and no commitment to a law code that that, uh, limited the cycle of vengeance that occurred. So that was the law of Moses. It was this marvelous, wonderful gift that God had given to the Jews. They were special in that way. They were given this beautiful, wonderful code. And it was a huge step forward at the time, and it's still a huge step forward today. But there's times where I wish he didn't say it. There's times when I think about an eye for an eye, and I want to translate it as, yeah, you poke me in the eye, I poke you in the eye. Because it's just part of my nature, and I, and I would guess all of us have experienced that in some way, that somewhere in our nature, we want to retaliate. Oh, yeah. Something is done wrong to us, and we want to lash out and do something wrong back to that person, and then we feel totally justified. Right. Well, they did it, he started it, she did it first, so I have every right to respond the way my feelings tell me to respond. The last thing I want to do is deny myself. The last thing I want to do is restrain myself from retaliation in those moments. Yet this is exactly what the law of Moses commanded. Self-denial and restraint. Let the magistrates, let the judges, let them deal with this concern. This negative injunction prevented a tit-for-tat mentality between people. It was intended for the nation of Israel at the time to be this shining light to all the other cultures in the world because there, there was civility between people. And without it, what you have is street justice. 
You write a cartoon that condemns my God and I kick open the doors of your news uh, station and I shoot everybody in sight. You see, the law of Moses restrains us from that kind of thinking. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is a restriction against retaliation. And that law code was given to the Israelites and they were to live under that law code and it would provide for them an incredible civilization. One that would be a shining light to other cultures and hopefully they would do the same. They would follow in that footstep, in their footsteps. But by the time of Jesus Christ, something unfortunate had happened. The teachers of the law, these were the people who were job it was to, to study the law of Moses and, and then give commentary on what it means. The scribes, whose job it was to record the law of Moses and all the case law examples that came with it and to, to faithfully reproduce it for future generations. And the Pharisees, which were a, a sect of Jewish people who considered themselves to be separate from every other Jewish person because they were just a little bit better than everybody else because they had a strict adherence to the law of Moses. These groups began to interpret the law of Moses in a completely different way than it was intended. In fact, they began to interpret it more like many of us think about it in our day. They began to say, okay, an eye for an eye. Absolutely, it must happen. So if you poke me in the eye, I have to poke you in the eye. Not only should I, but I have to. Not only do I want to, but I'm, I'm obligated to because an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They began to, to, to communicate to the Israelite people in Jesus' day that this was the standard. This was the expectation that he had for them. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They turned the negative, the command of restraint, which was a command of restraint, into a positive, which was take action. The other thing they taught in Jesus' time, or by the time of Jesus' day, was that they, they stopped having it go to the judges. So if you were offended, or if you were uh, hurt in some way by a fellow Israelite, rather than go to the judge and plead your case, and he would come in and enact some sort of restraint, he would make sure that the, that the repercussions from that would fit the model of the law of Moses, it would, be, it would be equal to what the crime was. They taught, no, take matters into your own hands. And so fellow Israelites began to be in conflict with one another. They began to have a tit-for-tat mentality between each other. This was by no means the intention of the law. But it was how the law began to be interpreted in Jesus' day. And so Jesus, starting with that law, he restates it, and then he does a Buzz Lightyear. He goes bond. Right? He goes into the beyond and he says, do not resist an evil person. I don't know how many of you have ever played sports in your life. A lot of people in the back. Or maybe you've been part of a club. Maybe you were in the glee club in high school, whatever it is. Maybe you were part of some sort of group. We've all been in some way, you know, in some sort of group, Right? And, and that group may exist, like a sports team, may, it may exist in a league. And in the league, there's these, there's these league rules. All the teams have to abide by a certain code of conduct under the league rules. But if you've ever been on a team, within the team, there's team rules, right? There's rules that are specific to that group. In other words, you don't treat your teammates the same way you would treat someone outside of the team or outside of the group. You don't treat your bandmates the same way you might treat someone else outside, 
We all understand this, right? There was a certain set of norms and of values that you held to. And, and oftentimes you would defend or stand up for or, or protect your fellow teammates, your, member, your fellow group members. But the Israelite nation was intended to be a team. It was God's team. He put them out there on the playing field in the earth, and he had certain codes of conduct and standards that he wanted them to live by. But by the time of Jesus, they had completely reversed the intention of those standards, of those codes, and they turned them into something that they were never intended to be. And as a result, like I said, there was this, this hostility that began to develop between fellow Israelites. And it was in this context that Jesus said, do not resist an evil person. In other words, if you want to be my follower, remember he was talking to his followers and those that were interested. If you want to be on my team, we have a standard that's going to be different than the standard that's being taught by the league right. or the standard that's being upheld by community at large. And our standard is to not resist an evil person. But you would say, yeah, but, but he poked me in the eye and, and it's equal and fair for me to poke him back. Even in that situation, you cannot retaliate against your fellow teammate. Fellow disciples, fellow followers of Jesus Christ are not to retaliate against one another. Because the team, his followers had a different understanding of the standards. In fact, Jesus really is telling them this was the way it was originally intended. This is the spirit of the law. Do not resist an evil person. Now, I need to make a sidebar here for a second because I need to make a comment. Jesus is not advocating here pacifism. He's not ad advocating a new style of, of world treaties between nations. He, he's not even talking about civil or criminal law. All of that stuff still needs to exist. There's still law and order, and there's still things out there. And, and some people have taken this passage and tried to make the argument, see, Christians can never retaliate, non-retaliation. And, and that's not totally true. That may be true in another way, but that's not the point of this passage. Jesus is not teaching that in this passage. We need to go to other passages of the Bible to answer some of those questions or to come to some of those conclusions. But in this passage, it's very specific. He's talking about the way fellow believers ought to treat each other, your intimate relationships, your close connections, the people that are on your team. There's a different standard. It's actually the original standard. It was the intent of the first standard. It's been misunderstood. It's been misapplied. But here it is. Do not resist an evil person. In other words, deny yourself. It's not about you. If something is done wrong or unfairly or you've been violated in some way, it's not about you. Deny yourself. Amen. Now, even with all that explanation, I still don't like that he said it. <laughs> because even in the church, and I've been in this church 24 years, and I love this church. I've given my life to this church. My wife and I, full time in the ministry for this church. But even in, in this church, in this community, in this group of followers, I have felt wrong. And I want to wrong back. I want to poke somebody back. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. And I would imagine you feel the same way. You've been wrong. People have mistreated you in some way, shape, or form or another. And there's a desire still, even in us, to want to treat back, to exchange uh, action for action. Even within limits. Well, there's still limits. I didn't punch him. I poked him. It's not the point. The point is, 
don't respond with the desire to protect yourself or to retaliate. In fact, what, the, what we ought to do is we ought to deny ourselves. So I want you to write on your connection card in the first line, Jesus expects self-denial. That's the first thing I want you to walk away with from today. The second thing I want you to walk away with today is a question. And I want you to write this on the next line. Am I living up to his standard? See, that's the question you got to ask yourself. If you call yourself a member of the Jesus group, of the Jesus team, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the ways we're going to know is how you treat other people, especially fellow believers. What are your relationships? What are your friendships like in the church? Are they filled with conflict and animosity and negativity and protect self-protection and defensiveness? Or are you, do you deny yourself when you're wrong or when you feel mistreated or when you look at someone's behavior and think they're misbehaving? Do you withhold your natural desire to retaliate or to judge or to condemn? That's one of the hallmarks of someone in Jesus's uh, number to be in someone among Jesus's people is how you treat your intimate relationships, your close friendships. I'd even go so far as to say that it's probably fair to apply this to even to your family members, whether they're in the church or not. If you're at odds with family members, you better bet that there's some element of you trying to protect yourself and defend yourself to the point to where you feel like I'm going to retaliate in some way, shape or form or another. Well, I'm not talking to them ever again. I'm never going to go to their house again. I'm never going to look them in the eye again. Whatever. There's a form of, in which we retaliate. And, and Jesus is saying, do not resist an evil person. It is not, we're not the kind of people that are going to defend ourselves and to protect ourselves. We need to deny ourselves. So it's a good question to ask yourself. Am I living up to that standard? Am I willing to try Jesus' standard? The next thing Jesus does in his message is he gives three quick examples. And, and I, I need to say this because it is our tendency to try to create specific commands out of these examples. But you got to remember, he's already made the point. These are just examples. So they're not intended to be taken literally. They're not intended to be applied immediately exactly as written. So the first example is if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. You know, in, in Jesus's time, if you slap somebody, it was an insult. It still is today. But in Jesus's time, you could be prosecuted for it. It was actually a, like a legal form of insulting someone. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to be one of my followers, and if you're going to be a, a, one of my, a, on my team, then one of our standards, one of our codes of conduct, one of our laws that we ought to live by is, I'm not going to return insult for insult. Somebody close to me has insulted me. I'm just going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to deny myself. It's just an example. But it makes the point. Second example. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. You know, lawsuits then and today are, are a form of an attack, right? You sue someone because you're trying to attack them for something that you perceived they've done wrong. And again, I'm not asking you, if you're currently engaged in a lawsuit, don't, don't come to me and say, well, you gave me bad law advice. That's not what this is. It's not law advice. <laughs> These are examples of how a principle 
from the law of Moses and from the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount can be applied. And in this example, if someone is attacking you, for example, in, in a form of a lawsuit, don't just give them what they want. Give them something more. If they want your shirt, your shirt, give them your coat. Because if you want to be numbered among Jesus' followers, it is not for us in his group, on his team, members of, of his community, to retaliate. We're actually called to deny ourselves. Third example. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. At the time in Jesus' day, there was an actually, actually a law. The Roman, when they conquered a people, they, they allowed the people to sort of live their lives basically as normal, but they had an overall set of laws that everybody had to abide by. And one of those laws was that if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his belongings, you had to. And, and the rule was you had to carry for a mile. You didn't have to go any more than that, but you had to go one mile. So you might be about your day very busy trying to close a very big uh, business deal. You're in the process of flipping a house and there, the money's on the table and a soldier comes up and says, carry my bag. I got over here. It's like the worst time to do that, right? You are obligated by law to do it. You might be taking the kids to school in the morning and you were redirected by a soldier and you were obligated by law to do it. It didn't matter. Your convenience was not a factor. This was a way in which the Romans could maintain an, an oppressive state. It was one of the ways in which they constantly exerted their influence over people, a conquered people. It was a form of oppression. And Jesus tells his disciples, they ask you to go one, go two. That's the spirit behind the command, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the spirit behind Jesus' explanation. Do not resist an evil person. If you're feeling oppressed in some way, it's not for you to retaliate if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not for you to resist. It's for you to deny yourself and go the extra mile. Three examples that Jesus gives us in ways in which this principle of do not resisting an evil person, which really was the spirit behind an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, can be applied. I want you to think about yourself right now. Do you live up to this standard? You think about your friends in the, in the family of God, in, in, in the church. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you treat one another with a spirit of self-denial as opposed to a spirit of retaliation? You think of your close family members, your close friends, your intimate associates. Do you treat them with a spirit of self-denial or do you retaliate and withhold and resist? Jesus is calling us to go beyond. To do something way beyond, even beyond what we might think is infinity. We got to go beyond than what we think would be acceptable by the code and the conduct of the standards we live by today. Again, this is not a statement on how nations should negotiate treaties. This is not a, a statement that we shouldn't have police because if a Christian is a policeman, he can't resist an evil person. That's not the point of this. We're missing the point. That's not what this passage is about. It's not to say that you can't defend yourself if you're attacked or your family or your children if you're attacked. That's not what it's about. It's in context. It's in the context of the family of believers, of close, intimate relationships and how we ought to be in our, in our friendships and our connections with one another. It's the ideal. He's putting forward an ideal. For the Israelites, he wanted them to be a shining light. Guess what? He wants you to be a shining light. Amen. In a dark place. Because outside of the family of believers, outside your close 
and, 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 and intimate relationships and your friendships, it is a dark place. And there are rules and there are laws and codes of conduct that sometimes are harsh and hard. It's so much better to be inside. It's so much better. As hard as this is and as, as difficult as it is for me to want to do this, I'm compelled. Yeah, this is what I want. This is an ideal and I'd like to strive for it. Do you like, would you want to strive for it? Is it something you have as an ideal for your treatment within your family, among your friends, in your church? Many years ago, I had a friend. She was a member of the church. She's moved away. For the life of me, I cannot remember her name. She's a wonderful, wonderful single woman. And she was handicapped. And if you saw her, you would think that she was born with cerebral palsy or MS or something like that, or she had some sort of, uh, uh, you know, a handicap. But the truth is, she was actually totally healthy at birth, and somewhere in her teenage years, she got sick. She went to the doctor, and the doctor prescribed the wrong medication. He made a misdiagnosis, prescribed the wrong medication, and it disfigured her. She was a dancer. She was an athlete. She was at a high level, a beautiful woman, and she was now disfigured, had a hard time even walking, very dependent. And I remember talking to her, and, and just naively, I think I made the comment of like, wow, so there must have been a big lawsuit. And she said, no. Now, I don't know if there was an insurance situation, a payout or whatever. I don't know. But she said, no, there was no lawsuit. And I said, really? She said, he didn't do it on purpose. Amen. That was her standard. I remember being humbled by her response. She didn't seek to retaliate or seek to protect herself or, or, or to, or to you know, punish this guy in any way, shape, or form, the doctor and whatever had gone wrong. Because she didn't assign any fault. She didn't say, well, it's on them and I deserve my, my money. I deserve my payout. She, she denied herself. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. That's the kind of relationships. That's the ideal that Jesus has set before his followers, for his church. That's the ideal that he wants us to live by. He closes out the last statement. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I love this close because it almost doesn't fit the rest of the story. It's kind of an odd example. It's more general and it almost feels like, where'd that one come from? But what I like about it is in this last example, those are two people that most of us want to avoid. The person who begs from us and the person who wants to borrow from us, right? I mean, I think all of us can agree. When the guy comes in that's always going to say, oh, I ran out of money. Sorry, can you treat this week? Or, or the person that's always asking to borrow money from you. Those are the two people you most want to avoid. And he says, even when it comes to those people, the standard is still self-denial. You take this example with all the others, and Jesus has made a point. And I want you to listen to this point. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye. Defend yourself. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Deny yourself. Even if you're insulted, even if you're attacked, even if you're oppressed by those close to you, deny yourself. This is the standard. And I put before you, if we apply this standard among one another, imagine what kind of relationships and how comforting and how encouraging this group of people would be. 
Imagine what it would be like if every week we lived by this standard. Think about how much better our family life would be, our home life, if we treated each other in, our, in, our, in, in the most intimate setting under our roofs in this way. Think about what it would be like in the community around us if we were a force to be reckoned with, a group of people who held a shining light, an ideal to the world around us of what good and right treatment of one another should look like. The standard of Jesus. Think about the positive and the benefit of and the outcome of what this would be like. Wouldn't you want to be treated like that if you you accidentally poked me in the eye? And I, brother, it's okay. I'm hey, it happens. I poke you in the eye. Hey, I understand. Wouldn't that be the place we want to be? Because we all make mistakes. We all have our faults and our shortcomings, and we all violate. And offend one another. We insult, we attack, and we even oppress each other at some point in time. And we all feel that way. Yet Jesus said, deny yourself. This is the standard. Again, it doesn't mean you can't protect your person or your property. That's a whole different sermon. That's a whole different text. I'm just saying from this text, this is the standard he put before his followers and those who would want to be his followers. That your first instinct should not be to retaliate, no matter how limited, your first instinct should be denying yourself. So here's the last thing I want you to write. Are you willing to try Jesus' way? Are you willing to try Jesus' way? We're going to take communion in just a minute. Communion is a time we remember the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm reminded of Buzz Lightyear. And his motto to go beyond, and certainly that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling you and I. He called his followers at the time. He's still calling followers today to go beyond in their treatment of one another. But I want you to know it's something that he also did himself. He didn't, he didn't do this from a distance and expect everyone else to follow but not him. He didn't have a different standard for himself that he applied uh, but, and then one standard for other people. He actually was the example and the model of what this standard would look like in the way that he lived his life. When Jesus was insulted and slapped, he turned his cheek. When he was taken advantage of or attacked, he gave his last possession on earth, his undergarments. When he was oppressed and forced to carry something, he carried his cross farther than any of us would ever want to carry And he, of all people, had every right to resist. He, of all people, had every right to defend himself, yet he did not. Why? So that you and I could have an example to follow. And if we follow, we could be numbered among his people. Let's pray as we take communion. Father, thank you for this incredibly high call, this challenging statement that Jesus brought to us. Do not resist an evil person. And it is so hard to grasp the depth of that and the, and the, 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 the challenge of that. Certainly not in my nature. I know it's not in many of our natures. But Father, forgive us where we fall short, but help us to have the spirit, the intention. And where we err, make, make what's right. When we err, we'll make it right. And, and, and going forward, we just try to keep improving and living up to the standards of the Sermon on the Mount of the law of Moses as they should have been all along. We're so grateful for Jesus who died on the cross, who gave us, 
who laid out the way, who, who was the living example for us, and we're forever indebted for that because he opened the way for us to be saved. As we take this bread and this cup, help us remember him and his sacrifice and what he did for us and to follow his way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You should have, when you came in, a, a communion cup. On the top of it, there's a piece of bread. It's the first layer. You open up the little piece of plastic. You can take that now. And then under it, there's a, a second layer. You open and you can drink the juice. It is grape juice. If you're missing a cup, raise your hand. We have a few people who will, who will bring some to you. And at this time, we'll take the communion. We'll have a quiet meditation. And then the singer's going to come up and, and lead a song for us and help us continue uh, to meditate on, on what we've learned here. And then we're going to close things out. Again, thank you for joining us today. We're so grateful to have you.